ladies, you are listening to Women Emerging Fearlessly. Did you know that four out of five women struggle with confidence and knowing who they are? This show is dedicated to helping women lead their lives with fearless confidence and to know how amazing they truly are. In this show, you will hear from women who are emerging fearlessly, who have overcome many obstacles to pursue their dreams and passions, and they will inspire you and encourage you to stand up, step out, and speak up. Be your authentic self and bring your true gifts to the world. My name is Janelle Anderson, and I am your host. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a great review and subscribe and share it with your friends. Enjoy the show. Well, welcome to this episode of Women Emerging Fearlessly. I am really thrilled today to be introducing a guest to you that has a really cool topic, and her name is Marie Elizabeth Molly. And we are going to be talking about relationships today, ladies. So you know that's a hot topic for us, right? And the title is Your Complaints Are Clues. So this is going to be really rich. And I can't wait to hear all about that. Because (laughs) that's the thing we all do, right? Just complain. So (laughs) let me introduce Marie Elizabeth to you. She's a relationship artist and coach. And she helps purpose-driven women deepen love and connection in their relationships so they can expand joy and fulfillment beyond their work. Love that. Yeah. Drawing on her master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine. Super interesting. Her experience in being raised between three cultures and being fluent in three languages since the age of three. Wow. And her 30 years of personal development work, Marie Elizabeth brings a unique perspective to being your full, authentic self in relationship. Wow. Instead of trying to mold yourself to others' opinions so you can fit in. Oh, my goodness. That's a hot topic right there. Wow. So welcome to the show, Marie Elizabeth. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you, Janelle. I'm so happy to be here. So I love this topic because it's just, uh, oh, well, I mean, all of us can say we've had relationships and probably issues within those relationships. So you can't get through life without that. So I love this idea of full authentic self in relationship and and getting out of that molding yourself to another person's opinion of who you should be. Because I feel like as women, this happens a lot that we end up trying to be somebody that that other person wants us to be. So can you just talk about that for a minute before we go into the complaints? You bet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I think culturally, I mean, first of all, there's the nature part of it. It's part of our nature to, to watch a room, to see everything that's happening, to attend to everything, to try to uh, find the best way to create a connection, to, you know, to, to be in a loving space with other people. I think part of that is just our nature. And then part of it is culture. So when you grow up in a society that tells you you are not okay the way you are and that you should be X, Y, and Z, to be lovable, to succeed, to get ahead, of course, you're going to try to mold yourself into something, 
you know, and if you had a family, for example, in my family, it was very valued to succeed in school. So I molded myself into a straight A student because I knew that would get me approval, right? So some of it is just stuff we do to survive in our family and in our culture. And some of it is more innate and kind of this scanning and seeing everything and trying to make it all work well for the family. That's a more innate thing. Oh, wow. Interesting. You know, and I think until we do some work to discover what we actually like and don't like, we don't even know. And so much of what we think is us and so much of what we think matters to us are things we've inherited from culture, religion, family, education. So there's a kind of excavation that needs to happen through life to discern, well, is this actually true for me? Or is this something I just picked up and absorbed as being true because of social media or because of TV or because of the articles I read or, or the movies I watch? Yeah, that's so important at that point you're making that probably a lot of people listening to this episode probably have not possibly thought about that. I know I just went from relationship to relationship, not even thinking about what it was I needed or what I was specifically looking for. Thank God my my daughter was not like that. I think this wow. generation younger than us is a little bit more aware because I remember going through life just kind of in this fog around relationships and just kind of like if a guy paid attention to me, oh, I would latch on to that. Like, oh, okay, I guess he's, you know, he must be the one for me or something without stopping to really being cognizant, you know, and aware of what am I looking for? What would be the right kind of person for me? And, you know, and I just, it just ended in disaster more than not. (laughs) That's so accurate. And I do also see a generational shift, like what you're seeing with your daughter. I do. And, and there's still a tendency to second guess yourself. There's still a tendency to kind of, you know, sometimes accommodate or in, and, and of course, some accommodation in relationship. I mean, both people, right. Have to work with one another. Although I prefer to think of it as there are the two people in the relationship and then the relationship itself forms a third or what I call the union. And so part of how you can get out of this my way or, or the highway kind of thinking is by putting your attention on the union and asking what would best serve the union here. And in this way, you can get out of the binary of win lose and into a more collaborative space And when you get out of the binary of win-lose, then you start to get out of the tendency to try to be the person who can win, right? To try to be, form yourself into the the one who will get what she wants, but maybe in covert ways that aren't so direct. Wow, that's such an excellent point to think of the relationship as like the separate entity, because then the two of you can look at it that way more objectively, kind of put it on the table and you're not taking it personally and you're not in this blame it mode, right? Or defense mode, or like you said, trying to get your own way. If you can both approach it that way, let's look at this thing called our relationship and, you know, objectively And then both people get to share, you know, their view of it or whatever and hear one another and then work on it together. I love that. And the beauty that happens is that sometimes a a different solution will arise because you've both looked at, well, what serves the union best here 
it might be one person's idea this time. It might be the other person's another time, but it might be something that co-arises because we're looking at it together. And so it could be a third solution you never even thought of and wouldn't have thought of on your own. And so part of the magic. It's kind of like you think of, you know, you work for a company and everybody comes together to talk about what's the good for the company. Kind of that same idea that everybody has a part in it, but it's not all about just one person. Beautifully said. Yes. I love it. I love it. So how did you come to the point where you are today to be a relationship artist and coach? What brought you here? Well, my own failed relationships. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you didn't have perfect relationships your whole life? (laughs) No. Can you imagine? I'm Uh. so surprised. (laughs) (laughs) So after uh, after my divorce in 2012, I, I really dove into the study of relationship. I wanted to understand what made me tick and also what made relationships work better because I'd always had this facility with my work, this clarity of purpose, this clarity of um, just expression, this confidence about my work. I've always had that. And somehow I didn't have that in relationship. And part of it was the soup I grew up in culturally. And part of it was uh, me just needing to learn how to bring the two together in a better way. So what I mean by that is we tend to compartmentalize different parts of our life So there's my work life, my home life, et cetera. Even the way we talk about it is very compartmentalized. And it wasn't until I began to understand relationship and the love and nourishment that I get at home with my partner as something that feeds and expands my capacity to be even better in my work, more vibrant, more magnetic, more powerful. It wasn't until I began to weave them together in that way to support one another that they really began to transform. Wow, fascinating. So you knew that you wanted to do this kind of work because that started happening in your relationship? Yeah, I mean, it evolved out of, I've always been very, I mean, 30 years of personal development work, I've always been very interested in this notion of what makes us tick as human beings. How do we express ourselves more genuinely, as a, as a kid who grew up between three cultures, as it says in my bio, from a very young age, I had to navigate across cultural differences and found myself, you know, behaving one way when I would be in Sweden and being different when I was in Venezuela and different when I was in New York. And everywhere I went, I would do all these things to try to fit in and be accepted. But there were two thirds of me that weren't visible there, so to speak. Uh, because since I am from three places. And, and mm-hmm. so I always had this sense of dislocation at the same time. So here I am trying really hard to, to sit just right and be just right and fit in, but feeling dislocated at the same time. And so that created this lifelong journey of figuring out, well, who am I in the middle of all this? And how do I show up as me everywhere? Not to yes. bludgeon people with it, but to be authentic and real. Yes. And, you know, even if you're not in different cultures or countries, you can feel that way in different situations. I know I have like in different relationships, I'll show up a certain way. And it used to be I was this chameleon. I would show up whatever way they wanted me to or what I thought they wanted me to. And then I'd go into another situation or maybe at work, be a different person. And like you said, you know, it, it does make you feel disjointed and 
part of your only part of yourself in each place, you know, instead of being totally you wherever you go, which is really freedom. <laughs> it's so freeing. And, yes. and I like to talk about, because what I'm not advocating for is a kind of adolescent rebellious, you know, shove my personality in the face of everyone I meet kind of thing. That's not what I'm talking about. And because I think that's a fear for quite a few women when we do talk about authenticity or showing up as your full self, they have this fear that they might be too big. I hear that yeah. a lot. Like, oh, uh -huh. I'm too much. Can't do that. I'm going to be too much right. for people. I think that's a real fear. For it's women. a real fear. And the way I, I address that is by talking about something called calibration. So it, it's not about twisting yourself or shrinking yourself, but it is about having your attention outward in the room to, to, to assess what is the best expression of me here. It's not about denying any part of yourself, but it's like right. bringing out a certain flavor. You know, you might cook one night with a little more salt and then the other night you might put some smoked paprika in the dish, but mm. it doesn't, you know, you're still going to have salt there, but it's not the primary flavor. So I, right. I prefer to look at it as a kind of energetic agility to be able to calibrate to a room or to a conversation so that you're yourself, but you also are speaking to the capacity of the listener so that you can be heard. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yes, it makes total sense. And it really speaks to just being self-aware, very self-aware wherever you are, comfortable in your skin, but also aware who you are and where you are and how the different ways you express yourself. And like you said, like, what does this recipe need and needs a little bit more of my saltiness, you know, That's right. <laughs> right. Cause some situations call for that. Exactly. But not, not trying to be somebody you're not, but knowing yourself well enough and always being self-aware in whatever situation you're in to know, you know, what would be the need there or the best expression of you in that I love that. That's a, such a great way to think about it. Thank you. So the title of the episode is your complaints are clues. So I definitely want to get to this. This is juicy right here. How many of us complain? I know I have complained so many times and often like internally. Yes. But it still has that same effect of just ugh, feeling yucky. So how you say that complaints are clues. Explain that to us. Well, I like to say that your complaints are clues about what you really want. And another way to say it would be complaints are a veiled desire. Oh, wow. And so when we, when we focus on the complaint, we start to get into blame. We start to get into resentment. We start to get into looping thinking that we remember all the other times that that thing happened. You know, it just oh, yes. takes us down this road. Um, that's not super useful. And it's also very difficult to communicate from that space in a way that the other person can hear. The second piece of it is that then we shame ourselves for complaining, right? Yes. So there's a piece where we complain and we get into the negative thinking loop and then we shame ourselves for it. So it's a lose-lose like all the way around. And then we'll smack our partner with some communication out of the complaint and then they get defensive and don't listen, right? So it's just kind of like a losing situation all around. So the first thing I like to do is to take the shame off the complaint. It's just a way that we are acculturated to think and to approach experiences we don't like. It's natural to complain, but it's something that we can mine for clues because 
Your complaints have something to teach you about what matters. And if you're complaining, that means that there's something happening that's out of alignment with what matters to you. So by taking your attention off the complaint and asking yourself, huh, well, what do I want here? Or what is this showing me about what matters to me? Then you can start to get your brain focused on the the thing you could actually do something about, which is to either ask for what you need, Mm -hmm. change something about what you're doing so that it's in alignment with your values or yourself or your heart, however you want to language that. And then you can ask for the thing you want directly instead of lobbing the complaint, which will often get pushed back. Right. And escalate into a big argument and nobody gets anywhere. (laughs) I love that. Taking the focus off the complaint itself. And again, kind of like we were talking about before, like with the relationship, but put the complaint on the table and kind of dig into it. And like, let's see what this is all about. Well, let me first say that this is an inside job, this piece. So okay. I, I'm suggesting not to put the complaint on the table. Oh, gotcha. Put it on your own table. <laughs> I'm, I'm suggesting totally. to put it on your own table gotcha. and ask yourself, well, what, what, let's go a layer deeper, you know? Yeah. What, what is it I want here? Like, so this right. complaint, so I, and, and it's about, giving your complaint the respect it deserves, you know? So when we just sort of have the complaint and we throw it out there, I don't know, I, I, I was going to say something judgy, so I'm not going to say that, but it's just the, not the most effective use of our time. So what's more effective is actually having the respect for yourself to go, oh, what, what is it that really matters to me? And how could I get that? And how could I have more of that in my life? And so then that's the thing. And it's, it's a vulnerable move. It's way more vulnerable to come to someone and say, you know, I would really like it if X, Y, Z, than to say, you didn't do that. Like that's, that's a pushing away action that is, you know, allows you to feel a sense of power. But when you Mm -hmm. come with vulnerability to ask for something you want, the clue that you've discovered from your own complaint they can say yes or no to that. It's so much more vulnerable, but it's your vulnerability and your desire that's going to get you what you want in your relationship. And make it more authentic and help your partner to understand where you're coming from because you're right. I mean, complaints, when we just throw them out there, it's like this, it's a defense mechanism. You just throw it out there and that way I don't have to really be real or vulnerable. But at the same time, if you haven't stopped to think about it, you don't know what it is you really want. Yeah, exactly. And you're not giving them, it's a kindness to give your partner Mm. direction. Yes. By actually coming with your desire or a specific request, that's a generous act. It's a more generous act than throwing the complaint because a pure complaint that doesn't have any kind of action, you know, or request in it, what can they do with that? It's like, okay, I'm a bad person. Like, oh, oh okay, right. I suck. You know, it's like, what? where can you go with that? Where, yeah, and, and sometimes, and I'm not saying, I'm also not saying never say the complaint. But what I am saying is do this little bit of work with yourself first so that when you do express your your the desire you've discovered to your partner, you could even be transparent about the complaint. Like, hey, I noticed it, it was really bugging me, you know, that you've been on your phone at at the dinner table for the last three months. And I, I really wanted to complain about that, but, but you know, what I did, what I realized was 
I'm actually hungry for your direct attention. I'm actually really, you know, could we, could we make an agreement for the next week to put our phones down at dinner and just talk to one another and see how that feels? You see how good that feels like you're still naming the complaint, but you're coming with the desire or you could just skip the complaint and go, Hey, I've got an idea. Would you like to put our phones down and just talk at dinner without having any other distractions? I would really love your, uh, you know, like I would love to have all your attention. And so you're coming with that. Yeah. And, you know, I know if I said that to my husband, he would love it. He's always saying to me, just Mm -hmm. tell me, you know, because men are, he, he says, men are stupid. We don't know. <laughs> you just have to be direct. You just have to tell us. I think that's very true. You know, we as women try to, because we don't want to be vulnerable and we're throwing the complaint out there or whatever in a way, hoping that they'll understand and that they'll read between the lines and read our minds. And and my husband's always like, no, just tell me. We don't know until you tell us. If you are in relationship with a man, it really serves. That directness really serves. Yeah. They love to know exactly what you want and they love to give it to you. Yes. So it, it's actually a kindness, you know, because I think one of the things that we struggle with as women is not wanting to be too demanding or not wanting to be seen as high maintenance and things like that. And I'm just going to say directly, it's not high maintenance to ask for what you want. It's actually a gift because then you make the person so much more easily able to win with you. And then they get to experience your gratitude and your appreciation, which is so mm. nourishing to them. Yeah, it creates this beautiful cycle where each of you is bringing out the best in one another, as opposed to the other cycle, which we're all very <laughs> familiar with. That's so great. I love that. I hope that uh, anybody listening to this is like taking notes because this is really golden. <laughs> I'm going to try this out. <laughs> oh, good. Yes. Um, and some of this I've learned, but I have to admit, you know, a lot of times I just throw my complaints out there and I, I get impatient and annoyed and, and then, you know, poor guy doesn't know what I'm talking about or what it is I need. So I love the idea of it being a gift too. Like I'm yeah. giving a gift to him and then enabling him to understand what he needs to do or, you know, like what's the solution. He loves to yeah. do things for me. So exactly giving him that, you know. Right. And then the last piece is making sure you appreciate him when he gets it right. Right. Because then he'll want to do more of that. <laughs> it feels good. Yes, he will. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's true. That. It's so true. <laughs> yeah, I try to always remember to do that. I really became like really aware of that when he decided to build a set of steps off of our deck. And after he did that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing that you did that. How did you know to do that? And I just went on and on because I was just amazed. And he's <laughs> what like, else can I build, well, right? what else I mean, can I do, so you know? <laughs> yeah, it's so sweet. Anytime I say, we, I want this or that, he tries to right away go, go into like, how do I make this happen for her? Because he loves to get that appreciation, of course. It feels so good. Yeah. And men like to fix things for, for women, you know, for other people. Yep. I have a, another piece about the complaint cycle, which is at this point, my partner is so trained that when I do lob a complaint at him, especially if he's not activated, if he's already activated, he can't always do this. But if he's not activated, if I lob a complaint, he'll often sort of look at me with this little twinkle in his eye and he'll say, oh, is there a desire in there that you might want to tell me? <laughs> oh. So, you know, this can be something you can actually create a game together. Right. To say, oh, you know, if you if we notice each other blaming 
or complaining in some way, rather than immediately going into defensiveness, we could, knowing that there's likely a desire underneath that's not being expressed, we could playfully ask for that. Mm. And so that's something that could go both ways where you give each other permission in the face of a complaint to get a little playful and go, hey, Mm -hmm. that sounds like a complaint. Is there a desire under there? Right. And then you start to get into a different space right away without even having to go down the whole rabbit hole of defensiveness and blame and, you know, frustration. Yeah, it's a, a way to teach the other person to look for their own desires too. Yeah. I'm a big fan of making games with one another, saying, hey, let's, you know, let's have a game. Let's have a, let's have an intention if you like that word better, mm-hmm. for us both to keep our eye on this particular dynamic. Like if there's a dynamic in the relationship that's repetitive, you might make a specific intention around noticing it and deliberately working with it differently so that it changes. Yeah. That's a lot of, I, I teach that a lot in my work, how to, how to bring research, how to bring practice, how to bring experimentation into your relationship to find better ways to interact with one another. That's beautiful. And it's so needed because I think a lot of people don't understand when, when you go into relationships that how much there is to a relationship that you can't, you have to work at it, right? You have to work at it. It doesn't just magically blossom into this wonderful, perfect relationship. It might for a minute, but it doesn't stay there. (laughs) To understand that there are tools you can learn to use, to develop it and help it to grow, to be its best, like a garden. You have to pull the weeds out and water it and tend to it. Yeah, beautiful. How does all this work when you're under duress, when you're both like stressed out and about to ah, pull your hair out? (laughs) Yeah, it, it gets, I mean, it gets trickier for sure. Because when you're both stressed out, that means you've now left your conscious mind and you're in your more subconscious or primitive brain, which is out to either kill a thing or have sex with a thing, you know, run away from the thing or eat the thing. (laughs) You're in one of those four modes. And at that point, it's very difficult to kind of stay clear. So what I've found very helpful for myself and my clients is to understand what each of your stress styles is. Hmm. So I'm going to give you an example. When I get stressed out, I speed up. I start piling more on my plate. I try to get it all done. I'm trying to squeeze the last thing in. Mm -hmm. I just get busier. And my partner, when he gets stressed out, he slows down. He gets more deliberate. He makes a spreadsheet and, you know, he doesn't want to make errors. He has an engineering background, so he doesn't want to make a mistake. So he starts to move more slowly. So you can imagine when we both get stressed out, we are primed for a clash because I'm speeding up and I'm panicking, you know, getting into panic mode and trying to get everything done. And he's slowing down, which is infuriating. (laughs) So what we've done is we've made that style awareness visible. We know that about each other. We've talked it through. So now if I start speeding up, he'll notice me. And if I don't catch it, he'll say, Hey, are you stressed out? I see you're speeding up. How can I help? So he immediately we're in a different place. And the same thing when I see him slowing down, I know that that's his stress signal. I get curious. 
hey, what's up? What's happening? How can I support you? Is there, you know? And so already we're we're connecting from a different place so that any complaint, you know, isn't going to land the same way as it would if we were both just stuck in that back two thirds of our brain. Right, right. Wow, that's really, really helpful. So first, understanding what each other's stress style is. How do you go about figuring that out? You just notice, you know, if there's any repetitive pattern you tend to do, you, you just notice it. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe if you can't see it, they might know it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> right, because they experience Like, I, I find a helpful framework to think about it in is, for example, when you're packing for a trip. Okay. What happens if you are running out of time to pack or you're on the way to the airport and there's traffic, what, ha- what happens in here? Right. right. In those situations. And then you'll see, oh, I'm a person who speeds up. I start over-functioning or I collapse and I can't do anything and I have to stop. Or, you know, uh, those are kind of the two primary I tend to see a lot, but you know, you can have any version of that that's unique to you. Yeah. So I would say, notice how you act in situations that stress you out and you'll start to see what your habitual go-to is. And like I said, your partner may know it more than you do because they see you. I definitely can recognize it in my partner, my husband. And what I've found, if I try to say, oh, you know, you're stressed right now, how can I help or slow down or breathe or something to help him kind of come back into his mind? He just... He'll, he'll get really uh, frustrated and angry and mm. like nothing's going right. So it comes out like anger and frustration and yeah. wants to throw the computer across the room or whatever. And when I try to calm that down, he just gets worse. Like he gets more frustrated. Yeah. What's a good thing to do there? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point because when you haven't built a habit of, um, trusting one another in that place. I'm not saying you don't trust one another, right. but it can land as criticism. Okay. And I'm not saying you criticize it. Right. This could be from childhood. Okay. So if someone has an expectation to be criticized for how they're feeling or how they're being, anything you say is probably going to land as criticism, even if you didn't mean it that way. Gotcha. So you could be coming with this genuine, like, Hey, I, and I notice you're stressed out. How can I help? And he'll, you know, he feels like a failure because he was made wrong at some point in his life for getting frustrated. And so then he's probably heaping shame on top of his own frustration. And then your genuine concern lands as just another criticism, even though you didn't mean it that way. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. 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 I also think it's, it's helpful to use I statements. Okay. Rather than like you're stressed out, yeah. it's helpful to say, hey, I noticed, you know, I notice, blah, 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 tends to mitigate any sense of blame that might be. Instead of saying you are stressed out right now, you could right. say, I see that you seem to be stressed out. I see out. you seem to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. I see that something's frustrating you. What's up? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's you know? good. That's good. And when he's not frustrated... You don't ever want to talk about this stuff when you're in the situation. No. <laughs> but when either one of you is out of the situation, that's when you could talk about, hey, I'm thinking I want to I want to figure out a way for us to support one another when we're stressed out. Yeah. So I noticed that I tend to do this. What do you do? 
let's get curious. What would be helpful to you? Is there something I could say that could land well? Like we decide right now when everything's okay, that there's some phrase or some question I could ask that would be our cue to get curious or to pause or to be together in this space. And we agree right now on what that phrase or that question or that word is so that when I use it, you know it means that I'm saying a supportive thing and that I'm not criticizing you or piling on some kind of meaning of you being deficient because you're frustrated. That is really good, really helpful. Great advice, great tips. Thank you. Would you expand on the five elements of relationship artistry? I know that is your business name, correct? Yes. And you have these five elements or areas where you primarily focus your work. What are those? Yeah. So it's funny because I have this background in Chinese medicine, which in five element theory is a big part of Chinese medicine. And I didn't even realize when I came up with these five elements of relationship artistry, um, you know, that that was probably some unconscious echo that made its way (laughs) into the work. I have them arranged visually as a circle. They're not sequential and they're not hierarchical. Of course, language being what it is, I have to talk about one at a time. The first is really your relationship with yourself and with your own thinking. And if you have like a looping, repetitive, critical, judgmental kind of thinking, that affects both you and anyone you come into contact with. And I teach how to have your, what I call your maestros, like the conductor of the orchestra of your thoughts in charge. So I teach you how to keep your clarity, how to keep your presence, your centeredness, even in the face of whatever is happening in your own head. And what this does is this begins to allow you to have more permission to be. There's less uh, trying to wrangle yourself into the shape of an acceptable human, like we talked about at the top of the call. And it begins to bring the things that you've shoved in the shadow to allow them to exist, like anything you've rejected about yourself, once you begin to allow that to exist, it doesn't have to run your life, but at least you don't judge yourself for that. You have a lot more room to play and be free in your life. So that's the first piece is what I call putting the maestro of your mind in charge. The second is the communication piece. A lot of what we talked about today, uh, different ways to communicate, to enhance connection, even in moments of disagreement. How do you stay connected and even get deeper with each other, even when you disagree? The third is what I call your guiding star. So being clear about your values and what matters most to you in your life so that you can streamline decision-making, you can be in alignment, you can maximize your productivity and use of your time in the ways that best serve you and your partner. Then there is what I call the artful connection, the artful connection, which is this interplay between you, your work and your relationship. So how do you set up the elements of your life to play well together? And lastly is fire up your desire. So Mm -hmm. allowing yourself, not only in the bedroom, but allowing yourself to be a human who wants so many of us shove down our desire to cater to everyone else's needs, right? And so when you talk about firing up your desire, your desire is your life force. It's your potency. It's your vibrancy. It's just part of what we're here on the planet to experience. Yeah. And and again, I mean in the bedroom and out of the bedroom. I don't just mean sexual desire. I mean just all the things you want. And by having the maestro in charge 
that's what keeps you from doing things, acting on the desires that are not in alignment. So when you know your guiding star and you have your maestro in charge, you can be free to want whatever you want to allow that fountain of life force to be flowing in you, but you're deliberate about what you actually act on so that right. it's in alignment. I love that. I, I think of passions, you know, when I think of yeah. firing your desire, like what do you really want to do and are passionate about and love doing? And so many people are not fulfilling that because what, like you said, right. we're trying trying to play that down because we have all these responsibilities and, you know, we feel like we need to take care of other people and take care of our jobs and our families. And I see that a lot with women that I work with, yeah. you know, just not allowing themselves to want what they want. I love that part. I think that's exactly amazing. it's so key, right? To our aliveness. It is. It's what makes you enjoy life. It's what brings bring you alive, basically. <laughs> Even if it's things for fun, you know, I, I've run into that a lot with women, like they're not doing those things. And you know, they might think, Oh, I would love to learn how to scuba dive or go surfing or something. And but they don't do it because, well, you know, I have to go do this and we don't have the money or the time or I don't yeah. feel right doing things that I just want to do for me, that is very common. And yet when you do it and you allow yourself that freedom to pursue things you're passionate about, it just does bring you alive and it helps all the other parts, all the other areas of you. I remember one time I discovered I love contra dancing. It's a form of dance. Do you know what that is? I do. I've done it. Yeah. So much fun. And and it just like brought me alive and just love to do it. I love the feeling of dancing with a bunch of people that are doing the same dance and the live music and just the togetherness. And it's just everything about it. Of course, we're not doing it right now because of the COVID. Yeah. But I remember feeling really guilty one night. I was getting ready to go. My, my husband doesn't like to dance and he tried it and he just doesn't like it. Mm. And he likes to sit and watch things like he likes to go to games or concerts and sit and watch. And I get bored after a while. I want to get up and do. I would rather be the one up there playing the music or... <laughs> And I didn't realize that about myself for so many years. And this was a period of time where I was starting to like, you know, life is too short. I've got to do things that I enjoy doing or I'll never do it, you know? And that was one of the things. And I was getting ready to go and I felt guilty. All of a sudden I felt like, oh, I really shouldn't. I'm being selfish. I should stay home and, you know, do this work I have to do or whatever it was. And then all of a sudden I was like, no, wait a minute. This is something that's actually good for me. When I do something that, that fires me up, that is, you know, like that passion and it's just for the pure enjoyment of it, it just releases so much tension and stuff. And it just makes me feel so good that I'm able to then show up better in every other area of my life. So it's actually good for me. (laughs) And good for everyone. And good for everyone. And so I really embraced it and just go and enjoy it. You know, that's what life is for. So I love that you brought that out. I think it's a missing piece yeah. often. And it's the perfect example. Thank you for sharing that. It's a beautiful example of what I'm talking about, which is by tending to your own aliveness, it actually enhances how you show up in the relationship. Again, it's a gift to tend to your aliveness is a gift to the people you love because it's a lot more fun to be around you when you're lit up Mm -hmm. than when you're dragging and resentful because you work too hard. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. It's a gift. And then that just frees you to go, go have fun, go enjoy it. Yeah. You know, do the things your heart loves to do. Exactly. Well, I know that you have a gift you want to offer to my listeners. Tell us about that and how they can get it. It's a PDF. It's a guide. The piece we talked about with complaints that we expanded out today is one of the pieces in there. It's three secrets to living the relationship of your dreams. 
And one of the secrets is to approach your complaints as clues. So we've already covered one of the secrets, but there's two more really hot secrets in there that you're going to want to get. And you can get that at my website, which is M-E-M-A-L-I.com. So it's my name, M-E, my initials, and then Molly, like my last name, M-A-L-I.com forward slash three written out, T-H-R-E-E dash secrets. Beautiful. And I will put that in the show notes, everyone, so that you can easily find it. And that's your website too? Yes, emmymolly.com is my website. So you can see the different offerings I have there and where I'm coming from. Uh, There's also links to this podcast will be there, for example, articles I've written, as well as some of my creative side. So my poetry, my underwater photography, you can also find that there. There's a lot of fun stuff to check out. Underwater photography, that is so cool. My daughter's a photographer. So she is. That's so cool. I know when you mentioned like want to learn to scuba dive, I was like, yep, I know that one because that's my thing. (laughs) So that's cool. I've never done it before, but curious. I bet it's just super fun. It's so incredible to be down in a world that doesn't have anything to do with us that we, you know, we have to breathe a tank just to be able to visit. And these creatures because I'm all about connection. It's I love seeking, especially when I'm photographing. I, I love finding that moment of connection where we see each other, we look at each other, and there's a relationship that fires me up. I love that. There, there's so many incredible behaviors of these creatures that live in the sea. They're complex and amazing and fascinating. And and I, I just love it. It's It's a source of beauty and trying to Photograph something you can't pose is a great challenge because they're moving and I have to try to orient myself with the light and the subject. And it just, it's a challenge that never gets old. Oh, I bet. And it's a whole nother world, right? It's like going to another world that we don't even know is there really. Oh, I love that. I love being in a world that's not centered around us. Uh Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming today, Mary Elizabeth. I'm so excited that you came and you gave us tons of golden nuggets. And I hope that people take these and use them and see changes in their relationship. That would be amazing. Thank you. And if they wanted to to work with you as a relationship coach, do you take one-on-one clients or couples? I do. I work primarily one-on-one. And then I work with both men and women one-on-one. I do work with couples. Both partners have to really want, you know, to do the work. I find the relationships transform very often, even if I'm only working with one person, because the dynamic begins to shift. I mean, they're limbically connected. But I love working with couples when both uh, partners are super on board with diving in. And I do small group coaching programs with women uh, and non-binary folks only. So I don't offer small groups to men, but um, for women, trans women, non-binary, um, I do have small groups available that start a few times a year. And one-on-one obviously can start any time that I have an opening. Yes. And that that's really true that if you, even if your partner doesn't want to work on it, if you work on yourself and how you're showing up in the relationship and doing some of the stuff that you talked about today, that will definitely have an effect. I've seen it myself. So important to know that. Yeah. It's like magic. Yeah. So definitely reach out to Mary Elizabeth if you find that you would love to either learn more, uh, get this free offer of hers, and maybe even work with her and see what happens in your relationships. So 
Thanks again for coming. It was just wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Really. You're such welcome. a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, it has been wonderful. I could stay on another hour. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I could just keep talking to you. You're so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, everybody, thanks for listening. Until next time, be confident, be real, and be you. I hope you enjoyed that episode and got a lot out of it that will help you on your journey to becoming fearlessly confident. If you would like to know how to work with me to help you to become fearlessly confident, just email me, Janelle at EmergingLifeCoaching.com. You can also go to my website. There's lots of great resources on there, including a free mini course called Be Confident, Be Real, Be You. It's a three video course with downloadable action guides that will definitely help you to get on this journey to becoming fearlessly confident. My website is EmergingLifeCoaching.com. Thanks for listening. And until next time, be fearless, be confident, and be you. Thank you.